Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of Second Shift and Wanders of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I almost fucked up the intro. I actually almost. I did fuck up you, the intro. No, you you did. You did. It's it's only up to the gods, and by gods I mean me, on whether we kept it in or not. <laughs> I don't know, hopefully that's a no. <laughs> I thought it was sort of funny. I thought it was yeah, sort of funny, but yeah, yeah I, I have said that before and then cut it anyway. Um, so yeah, all good, man. All good. All right, man. What are you drinking, dude? What am I drinking? Number one, I want to show you this shit. I got I got a little Scottish, and Ooh. what I did was you can see that I have my nice little Inverness dram glass. Yeah, I like that. And in that dram glass is a tastefully named Scotch motherfucker. It's Glenn Keith. Oh, look at that Let's shit. Let's fucking go. Yeah. What do we got here? Glenn Keith, man. So, yeah. Uh, I got this scotch. I saw it in a co-op, which was kind of a small town supermarket there. I mean, it probably is a co-op, but it, it was a great place uh, when we were in Ballot, Balladur to grab some some stuff for, like, the, the place we were staying and, you know, cook and all that. And when they were there, they had this scotch on sale. It was, like, 30 pounds a bottle, but it was marked down to 20 pounds a bottle. Okay. And uh, that was insane. And I, you know, I packed very light for the trip. I didn't want to bring back that much scotch. And this ended up being the only big bottle I brought back. I did bring some smaller things, but it might have been the cheapest thing I got there in terms of like by the ounce. And it is quite delicious. I find myself going back to it in terms of the scotches that I bought while I was over there. So I'm really just sipping on this and then I'm just going to chase that with a, with a, whatever this is, the black can Pepsi thing. What do they call it now? Pepsi zero sugar. It looks like. Okay. So yeah, man, I just, I got beverages galore and one of them is this scotch and I'm just going to sip on it for a little bit. What about you? Uh, I am going back to an oldie but goodie. I got Ashland Hard Seltzer. This is yeah. orange pineapple. So uh, 5% ABV, nice and easy. Uh, we've had the heat wave going on here in California for quite some time now. So I am glad to stay with a nice, cool seltzer. It feels like it's dying down. It's not quite there yet, but um, hopefully soon. Yeah. Oh, and this is 40% ABV. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> but we never do that. But that's why I'm drinking a little bit of it, because we never, I never drink scotch on the podcast, but I fucking felt like it, man. Let's yeah, go. man. Well, not for your first drink. You have had scotch, but it's usually yes. your second drink, and so you're kind of already there, and that kind of takes you home. So yeah, curious how yeah. this one will go. I did get a little slushy on the episode that we did that too, too. You did. <laughs> I got I got a little silly. I got a little silly. And that was the one where, I mean, it, boy, I am so glad I didn't drink that that ham fist that I had accidentally poured myself when right. I did it. Cause I, I left and just dumped out some of it. Cause I was like, Oh no, 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 we cannot do this. So, um, but this is a quality sipping amount. You can see yeah. it's, it's a, like it's a dram. A yeah. It's a dram and that has some ice in it. So, uh, so yeah, it'll just be something that I can ride, uh, ride the evening on out with as we, as we kick it. Right on, man. All right. So, uh, you know how this goes. I'm hosting. Yeah. So you're, you're going first. What's the first thing you did this week? So I only did one main thing that I want to talk about this week. There's some other stuff, but eh, let's leave that, right? That's that's generally the way, like, way I like doing it anyway. See, look, scotchy scotch already. <laughs> um, but this was the culmination of something that you have asked about over the last week or two, 
which is I met with my mentor. Oh, right on. To the novel. So we're talking novel. We're going to talk novel this time. The comics are plugging along and I'm still doing that stuff, but I don't really have anything new to add on those. I will in the coming weeks, but this week I do want to talk about the novel. And so where we left off was that Mike had given me a full read of my novel, had given me some amazing notes that we have talked about on recent episodes, but I hadn't mentioned them to my mentor yet. And so I finally got to meet with him because he had already given me notes. So just, yeah, quick refresher. Mike gave gave me notes on the full read. My mentor gave me notes on pages 61 through 100 of that same novel. And by the time I got to the end to it, my uh, end of it, my mentor had basically said, I got this one thing that I have a problem with. And aside from that, I think we're really good. You know, like, I think this is ready to present. And then Mike at the same time had said, without knowing it, something that totally agreed with my mentor's main point. And then something, a couple other things that were entirely different that I thought were true and that I ended up incorporating into the novel. So this meeting was about telling my mentor Not only that, you know, he's going to get his wish and here's why um, for the thing that I'm fixing, but that there are these other things that I'm fixing that he may not not have thought were broken. And so I talked it through and I told him about all that. And he said, and and initially, you know, this was about something I cut, specifically a character I cut. And he was like, wow, you cut that, huh? And I said, yeah, it just feels like the right thing to do. And here's why. It makes the novel cleaner. It makes the novel more pitchable to agent agents. It makes the type of horror more obvious. Again, this is this is all review, but it's helpful to have that review here because much like introducing ourselves as my name is Wally West, this is a flash. This might be the first episode anybody listens to, so we do want to <laughs> keep that very in mind. Um, so because of that, that's the situation here. When I told it to him, he was like, "Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense." And he's like, and your friend. And and the way I set it up was, look, my friend who's, you know, an editor, he's an editor for hire. He edits people's stuff. Uh, hey, if anybody out there is listening and they like the kind of stuff that we've talked about with Mike, I will give you his information. All you need to do is ask. He's a wonderful editor. So my mentor was like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good note and I totally get it. So I explained that it does all these things. It cleans up the novel. It makes the type of you know, horror subgenre, it is quite obvious. It makes it easier to pitch to agents and it makes it just cleaner and better. And he said, yeah, that all makes sense. And he's like, here's, here's why your friend is such an astute reader. Because he told you the answer was already in your novel. He told you, you don't even have that much work to do. All you have to do is cut this, ramp this down, and then ramp up a thing that is already there that is being underappreciated. And what that means is he read your novel close. He understood it and he understood the nuance of it and knew it enough to give you a a recommendation that was right in front of you all along. And he's like, those are the best notes. The best notes are the ones where you, your novel had it all along. You just haven't dialed into that frequency yet. And that's why I think that your friend, the editor from my novel mentor, um, is is such a you know good reader of the novel so yeah man like bravo was what he said you know the you're ready to go and um and we'll go from there and then um so i really had one question for him where we got through and i said so what's left do you and like he told me what, what's that does this need more cowbell does this need more cowbell and the answer <laughs> is yes yes <laughs> you know like it it you know the the i i got a fever and the prescription is more cowbell <laughs> And when we get out of here, we're all going to be wearing gold-plated diapers. 
you know, but <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I did ask him, Hey, you gave me this one note on how this is the final thing it needs. And I'm not going to say that. I don't want to, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm paying for this information, so I can't give it all away. But he told me what, what the strategy was. And now what I'm doing is I'm basically doing a detailed pass of my novel and this is it. You know, I'm doing a detailed pass, but in the meantime, I am still workshopping it with my, my, um, my fellow readers. In fact, I just got a workshop back from them a couple nights ago, and it was very good. And they gave me the another version of the best kind of notes. They're the kind of notes that I can implement and makes that chunk of the story better without me having to worry about how it ripples out through the rest of the novel. Because those notes can get troubling. Where, again, to use my famous, he's left-handed instead of right-handed... Now that means you have to comb the entirety of your novel to make sure you're not making any references to the person being right-handed because you're making them left-handed. This isn't that kind of note. It's the kind of note that you can just fix in the context of those pages and then you set it and forget it. It's gone and it just sets up the novel. So yeah, man, I, I have a clear path to the end. In fact, my mentor let me know that I still have some time left that I can use and he uh, offered to word by word line by line edit the query letter that i'm going to send for agents so that's going to oh, be right our on. final meeting and he also told me here's what you need to do it's time for you to research agents it's time for you to do all this stuff so yeah man we are here we are we are you know i ran a marathon i've run i've run a few half marathons and i've run one marathon and most marathon runners will tell you at least i will tell you that how long is a marathon scott was it like 23 miles or something it's it's so i was hoping you were going to say 26 26 Um, okay but the thing is it's not 26 dude it's 26.2 and that motherfucking point two that's the last point two bitch (laughs) you know like so it's not 26 miles it's 26.2 and that's kind of where i feel here you know like i'm i'm rounding mile 26 and it's like oh god damn it it's not a 26 mile race it's a 26.2 mile race right 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 and those last point two are when i feel like crap and i've already run 26 of them so but we're here we're the finish line is in sight and there are fans lining the streets and uh i'm ready to break the tape on this baby and uh and bust out that special bottle of scotch that i've been keeping for when this one is done because it's going to be done soon and then we're just going to let what happens happen I'm, I'm ready for any contingency and I am thrilled I am thrilled that something that has been the hardest creative quest of my life is about to come to an end and I did a really good job at it F- fuck how it ends you know what I mean like I'm proud of this novel and it's going to come out one way or another even if I have to self-publish it and have it at my table at shows and I'm happy really happy man that's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's great. Did he yeah. have any new notes for you? Because this was the, um, like, he instead of reading 40 pages, he read, read 80, right? No, it was instead of 20, he read 40. Oh, got it. So and, did he and, have anything new in those those 40? Well, he didn't have anything new because I got his notes a long time ago. He sent me my notes. Oh, I and see. And then the follow-up call was what this was. So oh, this was just meant to be a it. discussion of those notes. And, you know, look, we make no secret about the kind of workers we are. And he said, did you have any, when he started the call, I said, did you have any questions about the notes? He's like, knowing you, you probably fixed everything I had an issue with like three weeks ago. And I was like, two weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because because that's who I am, dude. I, I attack notes. I attack feedback. I, I love doing this work because I don't view it as work. This is how I like to spend my free time. So, yeah, exactly. uh, so yeah. All good. All good. But yeah, That's that was awesome, my man. that was my one thing. It was a big thing. It is it is going to absolutely dominate my work landscape. 
because I need to do a detailed edit of a 300 page novel in two months to meet my goal. And I love working backwards from goals like that. So I'm going to do it. You know, I, I will say that my work process for people who might care about this kind of thing, I'm waking up every day. I'm waking up an hour earlier than I should. And I'm having my coffee and I am doing as much editing as I can. And if I don't finish the editing, then I get on with the rest of my stuff. And if I do finish the editing, I'm good. But if I don't, then I just leave it and I'll just finish it later on in the day once I get through everything I need to get through. Right on, man. That's freaking awesome. Um, Okay, so my first thing for this week is wingspan, wingspan, wingspan. This is going to be a a trip down memory lane because I'm going to be talking about a lot of the same things for multiple weeks, I'm guessing. Because when you start a new issue of a comic book and you're the artist, guess what you're doing all day, every day, until the damn thing is done. And that is interior pages. So um, I am in a better mindscape uh, than I was in previous weeks. So things are flowing a little bit better now. There's, um, uh, I've been working on a few pages, still using that Slack method. And honestly, I've skipped to an action sequence because honestly, it looked like the funnest thing to draw at the moment. And that's what I needed. I think I think to get myself out of that funk, the thing that I the thing that I needed to do was to do something really fun. And something we talked about previously, the previous week was, is it cool? Mm-hmm. And God damn it, this two page splash is very cool. And mm-hmm. uh, it is that circular pattern page that I talked oh. about Ed wanted to do. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did a lot of preliminary work for a lot of these these uh thumbnails and i sent them to you and gary and i did a lot of work in those and you know what i was just like let me go to that page because i can cover a lot of ground quickly and knock a couple of pages out super fast so i'm in the middle of the process of that things are going well and i'd imagine by the next week's episode i'll have those two pages done and hopefully another one done as well that's cool. I mean, that's a page that listeners of the Making Comics podcast, including me, just I feel like a real personal interest in it. And one of the reasons I personally feel this, I can't remember if Ed said this, quote unquote, on the air when he was here, when we recorded that first episode with Ed way back in the day where I ate far too many, uh, what the fuck are those things? Vegetable straws. We all ate a whole lot of vegetable straws as a pregame for that. (laughs) (laughs) The multicolored, what are they like? There's the green, the orange, and the the white ones. And we just chowed Mm -hmm. on those. Then we had pizza and we had some beer and then we recorded the podcast. Ed talked about this page then. And I can't remember if it was on the air or we were just riffing on it. But it was this idea of the circular pattern. I believe he got the, I I know the comic that I believe he got the idea from. I remember him talking about it. And uh, so super cool, man. I feel... I feel like the the godparent to this page, straight up, you know. So uh, it's it's really cool to see it come along to fruition. But my question about it is, aside from the circular pattern, or maybe it is the circular pattern, is there anything special about this action compared to all the other action you've drawn that makes you jazzed, or is it just more it's action, it's a cool new pattern, and therefore that's why I'm jazzed for it. It's a combination of the fact that it is the circular pattern. It is the idea. It's the combination of Ed's vision of it or like the, um, you know, the 
the guideline, not guidelines, that's not the right word, the inspiration, the inspiration that Ed took and the book that he sent me uh, images for. And I'll post them up at, at some point. Um, I think when this book gets released and then I feel comfortable with putting, um, you know, these the double page splash up or something like that, I'll post along the images that he sent me. And one of the books, uh, there was multiple books, but one of the books specifically was Grendel. Ed was a huge Grendel fan. And um, I don't know if that was the book that you were thinking, but that was... It absolutely is. That's the okay. one that I was going to mention. Yes, you're a fan of Grendel as well, right? I like Grendel. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, all right. You're not as, like, you're more... Um, What's your jam more than that? Like you and Ed share a lot of similar care. Oh, it's Iron Fist. That's what it is. Like yes. Ed loves Luke, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. So, um, but yeah, this specifically, I like the fact that I saw where his inspiration was. I took it and I made it my own. It's completely different from the images that he sent me. He sent me three different images. I think two were from Grendel and one was from another series. I can't remember off the top of my head, but all of the examples he had, I saw what he was looking at. I saw the circle patterns. I saw what he liked about it. And I took that and I made it my own. I was like, what can I do with this to not copy what they've already done? How can I make this something that is solely mine? And um, the what I came up with, I really enjoyed. And I, I'm still enjoying it um, as I'm working on it. And it's fun, man. It's kind of like... It takes me back to, you know, Sunday mornings watching Kung Fu June with my uncle. You know, yeah. it's just like, and that's what this particular fight scene it is. You know, it's like a couple of martial artists going at it. And um, it's super it's super fun, man. It's super badass. So uh, thanks to Ed for thinking of this, this particular story, uh, this particular scene. And uh, it's been great to do. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, again, that and that answers the question, right? It does have a little bit of a unique angle. And that's the thing about all everyone that's listening out there. You know, if people are listening and you're starting your comics journey or you're earlier in your comics journey, I don't think you're going to have issues like this because everything is new. You know, it's it's like it's like collecting comics, right? Collecting comics is super easy when you don't own, own anything. Everything is a cool addition to the collection, you know? Um, I know personally in my collecting arcs when I do stuff, there's always that period when I first get into stuff where it's all about volume. And in fact, I've had a big arc of that over the course of the Making Comics podcast, where my short boxes in my garage have probably gone from somewhere around four to about 17, you know, but that part of the journey is ending now. And I'm being a lot more selective about it. And in terms of your part of the journey in creating, you're going to do this too. You know, everything's going to be fresh and new. But then at some point, you are going to hit this spot where sometimes it's just the nuance. You know, you're hitting the same stuff for a lot of what you do. And that's okay because you enjoy doing it because, hey, person can never stand in the river twice because the river's changed and so have you. So you can draw the idea of the same scene and still do it different. You know, there was a <laughs> there was a thing that happened one time where Chris, the bassist and Big Pimp Jones, we were knocking out a new riff or a new song or something like that. And someone, uh, one of the guys in the band was like, he listens to Chris's bass line and he says, that bass line sounds kind of familiar. And then Chris's response was, I've written 150 bass lines for this band. 
<laughs> yeah, like, like, what the fuck more do you want from me? You know, what I, I know mean? what he like, means. Yeah, there, there yeah. are some panels. Um, what's that? It's a Wally Woods. Oh, shit, how many panels? Like twenty-one panels. That always works, or something like that. Thirteen panels. I don't know. There's a number there. Um, but I feel like that applies to me as well when I'm drawing my books. It's just mm-hmm. like, okay, well, here's the scene. What's going on? And then I find like I'm like fuck. I think I've used this layout before. There's a there's yeah. a layout that I like in particular where it's the silhouette to create depth and framing. What I like to use is um, a silhouette of a profile or three quarter profile, just all in black in the foreground. I have it be in the left on the left side or the right side, and then or you can have two people. And then you have the character in the middle, off to the slightly to the right or the left. You know, don't want it dead in the middle. So the the silhouette in the foreground creates basically a frame around your character that you're spotlighting. And I have a habit of using that shot when it comes to characters talking. Um, like you know, I'll do single headshots, profiles, three quarters, and then I'll use that technique to get both characters in one one panel and have a back and forth or just just to focus more on the character and just to create a different look um, to mm-hmm. that page. So, but I found that I use that more often than I would like, and it's just yeah. one of those things where you've drawn how many pages, and after a while, you just start using the same tricks. It's like looking at your favorite artists or writers or or creators, um, musicians. After a while, you're like, oh, they've used that trick before. You know, and, and like, I swear I've seen this pose before. This this artist has used this pose before. And it's one of those things where you draw some, you draw over and over and over again. You start to run out of positions. You start to run run out of poses. And, and yeah. so you might start to reuse. You might adjust a hand a little bit or something like that. But how many times have you seen Wolverine crouching with his claws out? Like, that is a standard pose by, uh, you know, the greats. And it's just like, yeah, that's a standard pose, but goddamn, if it doesn't look good every time I see it. Totally. I mean, it's kind of the blessing and the curse of doing a whole lot of work. You know, like the the one thing that creeps in my mind, it's shot in my mind, actually, when you talked about this, people hang around and they get known for stuff. And we all have our things, right, for me, but it is J.J. Abrams' lens flare. And, and that's become a bit of like a meme, you know, or at least it had become a meme a while ago. But it's kind of not fair. You know, is it is it fair? Like people out there who are mocking J.J. Abrams for overusing lens flare or doing lens flare flare. Yeah, that was his thing. The guy's done so much stuff. What the fuck more do you want from him? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's what happens when you get a big body of work. Again, I've written 150 baselines for this band. You know, like at some point there's going to be some sameness. And as a creator, it's up to you to figure out a way to just vary it. I mean, we all love music and I bet a lot of you have a favorite band that's made 15 or more albums and there's a sameness to those albums, but you still keep coming back for the band because they still keep making good music, you know? So it's all about trying to find those different spices that make your shit just fun as we continue along our journey. And that's for people who are deep in our journey. And uh, hey, may may everyone listening here be deep in their journey or go deep in their journey, because that means you've been creating for a long time and you still have more stuff you want to create. 
right? It's all uh, we can John, uh, so I have a couple more examples. Oh, so number one, at Wallywood, it was 22 panels that always work. So that was the okay. correct numbers, 22 panels. <laughs> Works every time. <laughs> like Cole 45, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Panther? What is it? Oh, uh, Sex Panther? Sex 60% Panther. 60% of the time. Works, works every time. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, a director that uses a trick all the time, John Woo with Doves. So, you know, mm. there's just, there's something that you do. It's just part of your craft. It's just how you do it. John Woo loves Doves in slow motion. How it is. I get it. Wow, you really took that shit to the head, buddy. <laughs> That wasn't a sipping whiskey. That was a chugging whiskey for you. <laughs> and, and and the podcast content will follow. Yeah, it's going to get good, people. Stay tuned for these next uh, 30 minutes. <laughs> you get ready, motherfuckers. <laughs> All right. What was your second thing? Oh, did you, you only have the one thing? No second thing, man. I mean, okay. we, we had our conversation. We, we each took uh, one thing, and I think that's good enough, man. So Well, I do that, have one more thing. Yeah. Uh, one more thing. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the commission train has rolled in. So the wrestling company that I have drawn many a wrestling figure for and pins and whatnot, um, the work is coming back in. He actually has a list of wrestlers that I need to draw. And so there was a couple of corrections on previous ones. So that's what I've worked on this week. And, you know, it's um, stuff that has needed to be completed, but there was really nothing else going on. And he had mentioned that he was going to be giving me more work. So I was kind of waiting on those to complete them because they were honestly really simple things to finish. So I got to finish those up this week and then uh, more work to follow. So uh, lots of stuff coming in. I got another commission from one of my long-term clients and he said i'm still waiting on the scan to come in he showed me a piece um and he had asked me if i was going to be at long beach comic-con i said i was not going to be there and uh uh he goes okay well i have this piece that i was wondering if you can either recreate or ink somehow uh, but the paper that it's on is very thin and old and uh, so i was like scan it in um, 300 dpi is fine scan it into me i can take that image i can work right on top of that digitally in blue line print that out and then ink it traditionally so mm -hmm. um yeah that's that's something we're in the process of doing just waiting on that scan from him and this one sounds interesting i think this is going to be fun so this is kind of like me purely inking i'm so it's something that needs to be discussed more is is this going to be a project where i'm purely inking over this artist or do you want me to recreate the same composition just with my own style and mm -hmm. so honestly either way is good enough for me i don't mind just inking somebody else that's not a big deal to me it's um you know it's different it's it's not something i'm used to doing i'm used to just inking my own work but it's something i'm up to trying nice dude i mean that's that's cool and I, you know what in the spirit of that i'll bring up a quick second thing for me too which is uh, Kadoja issue two is cranking along in terms of the art. I now have the first seven pages inked and toned. And the other day I just got pencils back, I think, or thumb thumbnails back for uh, pages eight through 14, I guess it would be. Hell yeah. So we're cranking along by early November. I'm going to have this issue complete. And uh, that's going to be a great thing. And then I can move on to, you know, the next thing. Again, I, I have my own pipeline of getting these things written and done and 
like anybody who's doing stuff, your pipeline is going to be way in advance, hopefully. At least mine. Mine's going to be way in advance of when that thing's going to get put on sale because, you know, Invader's a comic company and we have to, we behave like a comic company. This isn't one of those, you know, I don't do Kickstarters where the book isn't at least 90% done, if not 95% done. Yep. My policy as well. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, so yeah, man, it's ha- I'm happy to see that come along. And uh, hey, I'm going to have a completed comic in my hands at some point, And then I'll be, you know, I, I'm going to finish up lettering animals within the next week or so. And uh, then I can just move right on to Kadoja and get that ready for whenever that Kickstarter is. So that's that's exciting stuff. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So you're new artist. Like, I, tell me if I'm right or wrong, because I haven't seen a ton of stuff, but the stuff I have seen looks really nice. It looks pretty comparable to Will Perkins' work. It, it's like a nice, maybe not a one-to-one, but it looks like it complements it pretty well. What would you say? It, it has an insane amount of energy. That's what I like about it. But it also feels, you know, I'd have to look. It it, it definitely reminds me of an artist but I gotta figure it out who it is. So I mean, okay. the point is for it to be complimentary, and of course, I'm happy with it. That's what's important. And you know, again, someday when both the issue four trade comes out and when the omnibus comes out, I mean, again, I'm I'm writing the forward to it right now. You hold the work of a lot of artists in your hands. This is indie comics. And whenever I have this conversation at shows with either fans or with other writers it's the way it is man you know you have the advantage on second shift because you're the artist on every single one of them you know for Kadoja, i think i'm on this is going to be my fifth significant artist no fourth fourth significant artist that is working on the book and i'm okay with that because there's no other choice like there you know i i can't i mean artists change and uh, so, I mean, you could stick with the same artist and have it evolve. I had people at shows come up and say, who's the artist on the second volume? And I'm like, the same artist on the first volume. And then I talk about it. Like, it's the artist evolving. It's Rory Smith evolving. He went from a super raw, expressive style in the first volume to a animated style, which totally you know, serves as like a precursor to the fact that the guy works for Disney now. You can see it right there. You can see the arc forming in front of you when you go from Kadoja uh, number five or volume one, number five to volume two, number one. So yeah, man, I dig it. But yeah, I'll have to take a look at it more. Um, I didn't think of Will when I first saw it, but that doesn't mean I'm right. So uh, yeah, I'll take a look when I when I have the full pages again and see if uh, you're right. I, tr- I trust your instinct on that one. Have you talked to him about doing the next issues, like like continuing on and finishing the story out? I haven't yet, but I'm going to. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm just I'm just sort of biding my time. So hey, if if he's listening, then I've tipped my hand. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see then. But yeah, I, I'm 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 happy to work with him. I'm excited. He's mega professional. His art looks great. Just tons of energy, and uh, he's fast. It's cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's oh, getting getting yeah. you stuff. He's he's pumping he it out. That's done. great. Man, I love it. I love it. Cool, cool. Yeah, that's it for me then too. So those were our uh, weekly escapades into creative duties that we do here. And so we're going to go ahead and move on to the main topic. So the main topic this episode is uh, pitching to publishers. So yeah, uh, Keith, 
I'm going to let you take it away. So you have uh, a lot of experience in that in the sense that you are a publisher yourself. So you are part of the Invader family, the comic family there. So yeah. you know how this goes. You receive pitches from uh, writers, artists, creatives alike, and uh, take it away. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, you're right. So I've been doing this. I've been part of the 215 Inc. slash Invader management slash ownership team for, I don't know, like we're on four years now, maybe something like that. And I've seen plenty, plenty of pitches. Um, and and people out there that saw this episode title and you've maybe even fast forwarded to this part because you're like, I don't care what they have to say about what they did. I just want to get to this whole thing about submitting to publishers or pitching publishers. I have a little bit of bad news for you. It's really intuitive what, what I'm about to say. You know, I have a list of three things in front of me. Scott can feel free to chime in on all three, but honestly, they're pretty straightforward. And here's the worst part. As straightforward as they are, I, I would guess that somewhere around five to 10% of the pitches we get follow all three of these. It is insane. You know, like these are all very basic principles and yet nobody can follow them. And, uh, you know, when I listen to the literary podcasts I do where they have agents on, the agents say the same thing. And let's get started. Let's just go with that. The number one most important thing on, let's just say not only pitching to publishers, but getting your work published through a publisher. Number one most important thing. Scott, do you want to take a guess at what the number one most important thing in getting your stuff published is? Um, having it finished already? I mean, that's actually a great answer, and that's a super help. That would almost be like a 3A or a number four. But the number, I, I think it's even more obvious than that. You make something great. You make it great. That's the thing you need to do. It it needs to be great for it to get on a publisher. So for people out there that are thinking of submitting to a publisher, again, there aren't many publishers out there that take open submissions anymore. Invader is one of them. Make sure that that thing is as good as you can make it. Make sure that it's great. Make sure that you can go into a comic shop, okay? And you can pick up 15 other books don't worry about Marvel. Don't worry about DC. Okay. 15 other books. Notice I did not say don't worry about Image and don't worry about Dark Horse. Okay. You don't worry about Marvel and DC, but Image and Dark Horse, you should worry about them. You pick up a bunch of those books from different publishers and you ask yourself, does my stuff hang up, hold up with theirs? And if it doesn't, you have work to do. It's probably not going to get published by anybody. The, the quirky thing about the invaders of the world you know, or the people that are further along than Invader, Vault, um, who else? You know, I mean, Boom is almost a, a big publisher at this point. You know, if you go book to book with with uh, with with our books, with their books, to to Image, Dark Horse, to the bigger books, not really that much of a difference. You know, a lot of this is about exposure, about the awareness of the creator, and and about other things like that, and. Um, just make sure your stuff holds up. So make sure it's great. And that doesn't mean it has to look just like it. It means that it has to hold up. And there are plenty of books out there that are weird and unorthodox and might even give you the illusion that they're sloppy or raw or things like that. But the thing about a lot of those books, and Scott can vouch for this not as a publisher, but as a fan. The ones that seem raw are usually far from it. 
they're usually much more refined than you think. And there is a little level of artistry that is going into that perceived rawness that they are trying to do. Yeah, this is this falls in line with consistency. You know, if you have a raw style, if you have a um, a more energetic, a non-conventional style, as long as that style is consistent throughout, that's something that those publishers are going to be looking at as well. Um, especially if it's from one of these smaller publishers, like a, a, something that you're not going to see a ton of in these small publishers is like superhero titles. So you're going to have stories that kind of stand out on their own because they're completely different from the mainstream and mm -hmm. uh that's something that'll help you out you know that's having a unique story is great into itself especially if you're working shows like obviously we're going to be focusing on the publishers here but mm -hmm. that's something that's going to help you stand out when you're doing conventions when you finally get your book off the ground um it's going to help you pitch it to random fans so um uh doing something great is obvious and it's obviously a hard thing to do so you know do the best job that you can and make your work mm -hmm. consistent when you're sending these things out exactly exactly and uh so that brings us to thing number two which again make something great is almost like that that gets you to the door like that's something that that people hope you're doing no matter what but so now we start to get into the the two things that really have to do with the submission process. And this, again, number two is obvious. All of these are obvious. Yet, you would be shocked at how few people follow it. And number two is, read the submission guidelines on those companies' websites and follow them. So for Invader Comics, we want a cover letter and we want five pages. We don't want 20. We don't want a Google Drive link. We don't want a Dropbox drive link. We don't want any of that. We ask, we're asking for five pages. Now, does that mean that if someone says, hey, I have a Google Drive link and here's the first, here's the 70 page comic that is done, does that mean I'm not going to read it? Of course it doesn't. But it means that I'm a little less likely to, you know, because. I mean, same thing with the book, right? Like I'm about to pitch my book to agents. The standard thing with pitching your book to agents is you put a cover letter in your first five pages. You don't put your whole fucking novel. You put your first five pages. They want to read your first five pages. Let this be a back and forth. Let this be a dialogue. And so we put those submission guidelines up for a reason. And I can say the number one thing for me behind that reason is Google drives ain't free, man. You know, like Dropboxes ain't free. So if you send me some 170 meg file and I decide to open it, it's my 170 meg file now until I choose to unlink it. And before you know it, I'm wondering like, why the hell is my shared drive so congested right now? <laughs> you know, so again, this is, and you can make the argument that it's simple direction following too. We all put those guidelines for a reason. Trust us. And in our case, we want to do it because if if it's good in five pages or if your book is good in 80 pages, it's good in five. And if your book needs more than five pages to get going, maybe you rethink your book. Because if the first five pages aren't good or the five pages you want to show us are good and there are more pages after that that are good, why are you not showing us the good pages first? So the logic holds. It goes back to something that a friend said a long time ago that I love. I thought it was a universal standard when it comes to prose books, novels, whatever. 
but more people haven't heard it than I thought. And it's it's the page test. You're in a bookstore and you want to know if a book is good. You know what you do? You pick it up. You read any page. Is that page good? Yes, buy the book. If that page isn't good, don't buy the book. Because these kind of books, these kind of things, every page should be good. It should be good in a certain way. And that's what we're looking for with these first five pages, right? So again, in our case, it's five. In other cases, it might be 10. Some people might be flexible with whatever. It's not that we don't want to read the whole thing. It's that we may not have time to read the whole thing. And we like using the first five pages as a way to sort out who's really serious about wanting to get this book published and who's got some stuff that we feel is publishable. Yeah, got to keep it tight. So, you know... Excuse me. Yeah, five pages. Don't go over that. Don't don't think you're doing the publisher any favors by giving him more than what they asked for. Give them what they asked for. Give them the five. Give them your best five. Um, uh, you know, something like Keith had talked about with his book. You know, he he didn't have the introduction in there or the was it the prologue, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because he didn't want to send that to the publishers. He didn't want to send that to them, but. You don't necessarily have to send them the first five. You you have to send them five that make sense to mm-hmm. to be able to read as as five pages. Um, but give them your best five. You know, yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily be need to be the first five. Like honestly, it probably should be. But uh, if you think there's five stronger pages in that story, send them that. Yeah. Hey, this is a sell job. Remember that you're you're trying to sell the publisher. What do Scott and I talk about all the time? What have we done all the time at shows? The ability to pitch someone in a short amount of time. You wouldn't, if you're working at a table and you're the kind of person that wants to ask somebody, hey, can I tell you about my book? And then they say, yes. You seriously gonna talk like for 30 minutes about the whole fucking plot of your book? No, you're not gonna. So that same rule holds with submitting to publishers. Publishers are that person that is that is chosen to walk up to your table and ask for your pitch. So make sure that like you're being concise. Being concise is really important. So I think we've driven that one home enough. Um, which brings us to the third thing and the final thing, which again, super intuitive, and yet you would be surprised. And it is number three. Understand that a publisher will get back to you if they want to work with you. Publishers are in under no obligation to send a note that says, thanks, we're not interested. Okay. The default state for us is we are not interested. And the way you know we're not interested is we don't get back to you. (laughs) Right? That's right. (laughs) Yeah. that's, That's how it works. If someone's not interested, then they are not going to get back to you. And this, this, look, harsh truth. This is how it works everywhere in any creative field. No and dating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're out there, you're dating. If you go out on a date and they don't call you back and you get ghosted, guess what? They're not interested in working with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. They don't want to hear your pitch anymore. They heard it. They heard it. They were so, unimpressed. They were unimpressed. And and look, in dating, I think you're actually going to have a better, little bit better luck in the terms of person saying, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, I'm not interested. But publishers, dude, we get submissions. They all get submissions. And the, the more books that a publisher sells, the more submissions they get, the more people that find their emails and approach them with stuff. And so whenever we get one of these follow-up emails that says, hey, I haven't heard from you. I'm wondering if you're going to tell me something. You know, we just ignore it. We don't have time. 
we're we're trying to run a company we're trying to put out comic books and in the process of putting out those comic books we're happy to keep an open door policy for for submissions because i can speak to invader personally we've released a few books over the past two years that came in through our open door and that's a great feeling you know to to have these books that are now part of our that have had a home with us that we're just part of an open door submission policy but then you get some people that are like, I haven't heard from you. And I, I think it would at least be decent of you to let me know that you're not working with me, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, is that so? Is that so? So again, like that's, look, that's just my perspective on it. And maybe I just said that and people are like, wow, that's rude. And it's like, when you're on this side, you understand that we just don't have time for that. It's, look, it's not that we don't want to. It's not that we don't want to tell you stuff and say, hey, man, we're not interested in this. Or in a perfect world, we can say we're not interested in this, but here and here's why. But in a way, that's not on us. You know, like that's on you to go back to number one and make sure that you're making something great. Yeah, that honestly, that's not just you guys. That's a lot of companies. A lot of companies submission policy is if we want to work with you, we're going to contact you. If you don't hear mm-hmm. from us within a month, take that as we are not going to work with you. Like I've I've seen that before on websites, like on Image Comics, um, they used to have like a physical address you could send it to. And that was one of the things that said it on there. It's like, hey, if you don't hear back from us, like within a month or so of you sending it, we're more than likely not interested in working with you. And and that's yeah. just how it is. And, and it's something yeah. you have to accept. And hey, this goes back to getting that tough skin we were talking about, get that thick skin. You're going to have to submit stuff like if you're an artist just submitting your portfolio, you're going to have to talk to an editor, expect some critiques, expect the good and expect the bad. Honestly, expect the bad before you expect the good. Just so mentally, when you're going into this thing, you're already prepared. So when the good does come, it feels even better. So, you know, expect the same when you're submitting to publishers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And while this was initially only a list of three, I think Scott's guess to the first one is worth making it like a 3A or a 4 because that's what Scott mentioned about. So his his thing was, what's the number one rule? And he was like, well, having most of it done or all of it done. And while that isn't necessarily a thing that, that gets in the way of the submission, think about what Scott just said. Let's say that you have you're pitching a four issue series and you give us the first five pages. and We're like, yes, man, these are great. What else you got? And then you say, oh, I've got all the issue one done. And then we might come back and say, but you said it's a four issue series. Where are the other three? And then you say, "Okay, well, I, I expect to have those done within the next year. Okay, cool. Hit us up in a year. We're really interested. That's how this is going to work, because while. While the submissions process can, in fact, get you a working relationship with a publisher, an editorial relationship with the publisher, if they love something. And we have done this. We've seen people where it's like, okay, they're not all the way along or or their story's halfway done, but we're happy to work with you and be very patient. And when your story is complete, we're going to publish it. But we're not publishing it before that. It needs to be done. For a brand new creator, our general rule is whatever you are pitching for your story, it needs to be 100% done for us to consider publishing. Doesn't mean we don't like it. Doesn't mean we don't want to work with you. We will work with you. But when it comes to publishing, it has to be 100% done. When you're a creator we've worked with before, we lower that percentage. 
because we know we know we can just say, hey, we'll put out this current issue and you're going to have the next issue for us within two, three months, something like that. Right. We're not again, Marvel, DC, Image, those kind of people, depending on how they want to go, they probably want to put want to put a book out monthly and then run it through to the end. But we don't necessarily require that. You know, people can be a little bit more patient with us, especially with the kind of stories we're looking to tell. Now, we do have monthly books, but, you know, it's it's case by case basis. So what Scott said is super important. The more you have done, the more likely it is to get published, assuming it's good and assuming you meet those first three criteria or at least the two after the fact that it needs to be good in the first place. Yep, that's definitely something I've heard, too, with with Image Comics. If you're going to be doing a miniseries, they're not going to take your story until you have X amount of issues done. I don't know what that is. I, I have not submitted. So I don't know how many issues they would require. But I know I have heard that, let's say it is a six-issue miniseries. I think they want at least four or five of those six issues already done. Because yeah. Image, um, specifically they have a history of stories that have not been completed and it's not because of image comics it's because the creators the creators have not finished what they started and they want to put an end to that there was a history of it they don't want that anymore so if they pick up your series they uh, same with you guys if they've worked with you before then it's okay that they have you know let's say let's say it's an ongoing let's say it's a maxi series 12 issues right because they've worked with you before they're Mm -hmm. cool with you having two issues done because they know you're good for it you know what i mean you work with someone enough you realize oh this guy works pretty fast he has two issues done already okay yeah we'll already announce it we'll we'll take it on we'll already announce it because we know he's good for it essentially so um, yeah the more you work with someone the more more leeway you have but if you're working with a new publisher or uh, uh whoever and they've never worked with you before they're going to expect a little more from you up front yeah hey publishers don't like to be left hanging and that's why we want all the work in fact I'm not going to name the comic, but there's a comic I like very much that was initially pitched as a five issue series. First issue, first two issues came out and then there was a a monster gap between issue two and issue three getting released. And then there was another monster gap between, between issue three and four getting released. And then it ended up only being a four issue series. Oh, wow. And I, and I imagine the publisher wasn't super thrilled about that. So You know, this happens at all levels. You see it, you know, if you're carefully reading, you're going to see it happen with Marvel and DC too. Because you might see a story arc that, you know, a certain issue ends and then it says at the end of the issue, like, hey, next issue, we do this. And then you get that next issue and it's a one shot. And then the issue after is where they quote unquote do this. And that's because they didn't make their deadline and they had a stand in single issue story ready to go. So it happens at all levels with all creators. But again, it's it's how a lot of us in the indie waters like to make sure that we're ready to go because we don't want to get burned like that. Because if you're building momentum, why would you want to stop it? So yep, anyway. absolutely. Yeah, man. So, hey, man, we did it. World's we best did cup it. of coffee. World's we best got cup of it. coffee. All yeah. right. Okay. So yeah. Hey, we're reaching the bringing the bullshit part. And uh, you got anything, man? I'm trying to think I, if I do. I I got something I want to talk about, and we might get a little bit weird, <laughs> or we might or we might just get a little bit stupid, or we might get a little bit whooped, which is a combination of both of them. <laughs> but one thing we're definitely going to do is make Mr. Gary Hodges happy because it's time to, to talk, talk about. Aliens? about AI art. It's time to talk about AI art. So, so Gary 
just like you know Scott Scott Gary and I have an active chat that we just hit up whenever we want and uh, Gary just randomly dropped some AI art shit in there and uh, and it became a huge discussion topic for us and so I'm going to end up having a stance on this but for those of you that are not familiar there are plenty of generators out there that are AI art generators so what does that mean it means that that some enterprising individuals so far have figured out that if they write a story and they don't want to deal with an artist or they don't want to pay an artist, then what they can do is they can use these AI generator programs, type in word prompts and get art images that they can then use for their comic or their story. And that sounds all well and good. It sounds, it sounds, it's, it's interesting in a strange way. It's interesting in a strange way. But there are a bunch of problems inherent in that. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of those problems before we get just a little bit weirder. One of the problems, so let's say you're, you're the kind of person where I just said that and you're like, wait, you're saying I don't have to pay for artists. You're saying I can, you know, get, art done from my comic and not have to worry about artist egos and artist money and, you know, actually compromising my vision and any of that stuff. Theoretically, you can. But there are a couple drawbacks about AI art. The first one is legal. I don't think you can use it, right? I don't think it's legal, you know? So huh. what what is what is AI art? Let's talk about it, right? Because because Gary, in one of his things, he's we so what happened was I'm gonna give away some of the end here that after after Gary talked about AI art with me, I decided to do a whole bunch of AI art. I just put in prompts <laughs> and created some really fucked up AI art. And then Gary got on board and did some even more fucked up AI art that looks like it comes from a fucking horror film, right? And but what he talked about there is he 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 noticed that a face in one of his pieces of AI art was weird and he could locate it. And what and then he found it. And the and so what is AI art? It is nothing but a huge puzzle, jigsaw of stuff out there that artificial intelligence is going out and grabbing from other places on the internet and then throwing it into like a pastiche or dare I say a hellish pastiche to make it something else. So here's the problem with that. Those are all copyrighted images, friends. They're not yours. You have legal problems if you are using AI art. So I first got some experience with AI art because when I'm on Instagram, I like to spend time looking for artists. So I type in hashtag prompts and I look for the kind of artists. I found a couple artists to work with on Instagram using just these hashtags. Um, but then inevitably, sometimes you're going to get people where they're like, it says AI art. And that's when my first, I guess the first bit of interest got peaked. Like, what the fuck is this? So I found out about it. And again, that's all it is. It is just a composite of art that's already out there. So the, the number one problem is it's legal, right? The number two problem is that, like, it's not you. Does your head fit through that sweater? Like, how, how big is your ego, friends? Or how cheap are you? So the stuff you guys were creating, I, I was on my, uh, my weekend with my, with my buddies, so I didn't catch everything that uh, Gary was talking about initially, and then he clued us in. And uh, I was like, wow, that sounds 
sounds really fucking weird. Like, I don't really understand (laughs) what's going on. And then you proceeded to put those images that you created up. And (laughs) it was nightmare inducing. Like, it was like melty faces, like, like things they were trying to combine that just didn't line up. And uh, it was super duper bizarre. And I don't know. I don't. There wasn't a writer, quote unquote writer and quote unquote artist. Yeah. who put a book up on Amazon. Yeah. And one of the comments was, hey, man, that's AI art. You should probably tell people that's what's going on. And there was like a, a back and forth there, I think, where he yeah. was trying to defend it. And uh, yeah, man, like if that's illegal, if it's just taking art that's already out there and trying to repurpose it and amalgamate it, it's if that's a word. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how legal that is. It's like It's, it's, not, like, it's yeah, still recognizable you. as other people's art combined together and it's just a fucking bizarre bizarre uh way of doing things and honestly like i'm i'm trying to think if there's some kind of purpose for it like say you're not a creative artist and you put these scenarios in and then this this machine puts this art together or puts this composition together like okay can you light box it at least like can you yeah. go over it and try to draw on top of it like i don't really yeah. know exactly but if you're just taking these images and just straight up trying to pass them off as your work or um you know an artist that you've paid to do these things like to me it's it's just so lazy like it just screams yeah. laziness and cheapness and it's yes. just like look man get your shit together this yeah. ain't cool what you're doing and yeah. um, you should be reported. You shouldn't be yeah. able to make money off of this bullshit. Pay for a fucking artist already. Exactly. 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 So, yeah. And, and I mean, I wonder if there's some degree of hubris there, too, where you're like, you know, again, we, we've heard about this from artists that we've had guests on the podcast where where writers just overdo it and are insistent that an artist hold to their vision. And that goes back to something we talked about. What was that like last episode where we just said, like, you know, let the artist do their vision realize that this is a collaboration you're part of a team here and this isn't just about you acting as god kind of instructing things around so what i'm going to do is i was thinking about this as you're talking i'm not going to post these images on instagram but between now and when the episode airs i'm going to go ahead and put a blog post up on keithrfoster.com and then i will link to it in the show notes so that people look so that people can look at these art things that we did okay And I'm just going to describe them a little bit before I get into it so people can understand. So, again, after after Gary kind of talked about it on on, you know, and apparently Gary has a video out there as well um, (laughs) that 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 he uh, he went on a rant on or he was on a podcast and went on a rant. And then that just led me to my usual place where, like, I started thinking about it. And then I'm like, now I want to do some of it just to see how weird it is. And so I found some of these AI generators. And I I wanted to get as weird as possible with some of the AI generators. So my first idea was, let me try some prompts. And the first prompt I did was, and again, all you're doing is typing in text. And then you wait like a minute and it pops out art for you because it's... (laughs) crawling all over the internet for it so the first one i did was um picasso hot dog murder and and so i did that and it came up with a very very like picasso looking thing that involves like hot dogs and weird shapes i don't really see murder 
in the picture. I'm looking at it right now as we're talking. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so so that's where we ended up with that. That was the first one, Picasso hot dog murder. And then I, I my text, I'm looking at my text right now that I sent to the group. I put, I'm an artist now. And then I put, this is ridiculous, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then the next thing I did, uh, my prompt was mayor... Yeah, Mayor <laughs> Mayor McCheese Lovecraft battle. <laughs> that was what I wanted to do with that one. <laughs> that image is just downright disturbing. I don't even know what the fuck is going on, but I don't it's know. sort it's of kind of awesome. <laughs> it's sort of like a feudal China Lovecraftian hellscape. Yes. With yes. with like with like a really strange clown face superimposed on like a tree, um, and it is bizarre. Oh, is it's, that a tree? I thought that I, was a uh, Chinese a style dojo? building. I don't yeah, know. That it kind of looks yeah, like yeah. a Chinese style building, and it has a giant clown face on it. It's insane. And then yeah. it looks like giant lemons. Uh, yeah. Kind yes. of like meteors <laughs> flying towards the earth. Giant meteor lemons. Exactly. Yes. It's so bizarre. So, yeah. 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 So that was that was bonkers. Um and then uh let's and then and then what I did was I waited a while and I just started to get weirder. I decided to get weirder and I, I sent a text to both Scott and Gary and I said, I have bad news for you guys. I've created our primary comics using AI in twenty minutes. <laughs> That's what you get when you mess with me. Right. So so the first one, I'm going to post this one as well. So I, I put the second shift and my my exact text prompt was minimum wage superheroes. And this thing is horrible. It is it is absolutely horrible. Scott, you are you are very safe because minimum wage superheroes came up with just one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever seen in terms of AI art. It's a pastiche of a whole bunch of like paintings and comics and stuff like that. It uses different styles within the piece of art. It's, it's awful. (laughs) Right. And it Um, throws like random masks on characters that I don't know the masks were on those characters beforehand. Absolutely. And it's like mostly like Batman, Superman and Spider-Man. Yeah. Totally. It's really fucking weird. Also, one of the images, one, of the characters kind of looks like me the back right corner the asian dude with the glasses kind of looks yes like <laughs> yes yes I was like, that's he's got creepy. like a he's got like a what is that like a, a squeaky hairdo or something yeah like yeah that it's kind of like the spider Shirley. it's kind of, yeah that's actually it, it's i think it's the asian equivalent to the spider-man curl it, it's like a yeah. asian spike going yeah, down totally. the front of the forehead Totally, totally. So then the next one I did was Dinosaurs versus Marsbots, and that is Gary Hodges' property. And it is also strange. It is basically a person standing in kind of like a desert, almost Mars planet. So in the background, there's like mountains in the in the way distance. And yeah. then there's something that sort of looks like a casino at the top left <laughs> of the of the thing. And then it is just a person looking at a field of a bunch of kind of strange, somewhat mutated cars and dinosaurs that are grazing. <laughs> right. Like right, that's yes. basically what it is. Yeah, um, kind of like um they almost the cars almost look like shoes. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of supposed to be futuristic looking cars, but they almost just look like slippers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're interacting with the grazing dinosaurs uh, somewhat. Yeah. And so that one's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and then the final one I did, because it's me, is I did the prompt of Kaiju HP Lovecraft and I got Kadoja. And um, I got to say, on its own, it's not that bad. No, it looks it kind of cool, sh- to be honest with it, you. It does, yeah, it doesn't have shit to do with my property. But it did make me realize that maybe that would be a use for AI art. Because I, I will post this. It's like a strange Lovecraftian. It looks like, you know what it looks like? It looks like Godzilla. 
but a Lovecraftian Godzilla that has flipper hands. That's really what it looks like. Yeah. And um and so and a weird I, head. Weird and face. a weird head that yeah, on. it's kind of a mess, right? Like that's the thing with some of this AI art. It just yeah. when in doubt, it just kind of fuses stuff together, and you get this strange nightmare vision kind of thing where things are blurred <laughs> and stuff. But uh, I I will say that you can make the argument that maybe AI art could work as kind of an idea generation for you. Like maybe you're a writer and you want to think about how something looks or you're trying to brainstorm stuff. Let's try your, let's say you're trying to brainstorm. I don't know. Um, shit. Like dystopian <laughs> cities, right? So you could do like dystopian <laughs> city or something. Did like Gary that. do those last two? Oh yeah, yeah, I did. I wasn't even gonna get to Gary's. So Gary's okay, so works. I was just perusing those while you were talking, and those are really nightmare-inducing as well. People they with are, melted they are faces, fucking horrifying. I'm gonna but ask the funny, Gary if I have permission to put the, these on the blog post. The thing that made me laugh though was with one of these prompts the thing he wrote in the generator was men man selling art he didn't create <laughs> yes that is the that is yeah they they are both terrifying because of the way they fuse faces together and they make them look like 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 zombies ate their faces it yeah, is it's so crazy it is it is awful right so so yeah i'll ask gary about that but anyway i i think we've said all we need to say about just the bizarre hellscape that seems to be ai art but uh yeah, so we wanted to talk about that. It was a good way to talk talk in bringing the bullshit. The whole thing is just weird. And this gets to the thing that we want to tell everybody, which is like, by all means, man, collaborate, work with people. That's what we're supposed to do here. You know, we're, we're making comics. And look, if you have the talent to write and draw your comic, then by all means, please do it. If you don't, then collaborate with somebody, for, you know, already. Whether that's a paid collaboration or whether you find a person that's just your ace and you guys are willing to journey through, you know, this comics process together. But AI art is like, what'd you say? You're either cheap or lazy or both, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, man, yeah, that, that was right. my bullshit. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we're good there, man. I, I got nothing that's going to be better than that. So we'll leave it on that. <laughs> um, you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with my voice. There you go. <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. The AI art is now attacking me somehow. <laughs> it's coming for you. It's coming for you. Yeah, for me, it's Keith underscore Invader. That is me. All kinds of art from my stuff as well as pictures and quotes and stuff like that and then of course there's at kadoji kaiju which is nothing but giant monsters both on instagram and you can go to accidentalaliens.com you can pick up my book second shift to tell the minimum wage workers during the day superheroes at night and wanders of melisanda anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans a thousand years in the future we start colonizing other planets and we come across the planet melisanda where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved so it's due to look at you bleep, bleep, bleep. so it's two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet keith does that ever work it never works man blah blah blue it never works it never works um and so for me hey you want to check out my books the books i have are kadoja which is hp lovecraft meets giant monsters and three protectors which is kung fu in space you can go to keitharfoster.com there's a web store with all the stuff i have in stock and i can catch you up on the reading that you can do on all those and if you want to talk to us about the content we're bringing to you here, if you're enjoying it, if you're not enjoying it, if there's stuff that you want us to talk about, uh, make sure you're doing it at Making Comics 
wow, what's wrong with me right now? Dude, I've drank more than you. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com, and you can talk to us about those things. Uh, If you have anything that you want us to cover, uh, let us know there. Or you can hit us up on the social medias that we had provided to you uh, previously. Yeah. And if you want to show us how much you like us on the podcatchers out there, then by all means, rate us. Specifically, Apple uh, Podcasts and Spotify, they have rating systems, and we encourage you to give us five stars. Because if you're listening to this right now, then you are an hour or more into a podcast that you have probably enjoyed because you're still listening. I mean, if you're hate listening, that's kind of fun, but we are going to be able to sniff you out in the engine, you know, when, when we see that rating. So we, you know, five stars, it's great. <laughs> and be like Zed Comics Original. So Zed was one of the last reviews we got. Uh, he gave us five stars. I'm a process junkie, and when it comes to making comics, Keith and Scott run one of the best podcasts around. As an indie comics creator, I'm always impressed with their perspective and experience on all the challenges that making a successful comic book. Uh, they're interesting, funny, and often a little drunk. What more could you ask for? Binge this podcast now and thank me later. Thank I mean, you, we, Zed Comics Original. Thank you, Zed Comics, and we're happy that this episode and every episode we have been so on brand with your review. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Spot man, it's on. All good. Yeah. Right on, man. All right, well, that'll do it for us for this week. We will see you guys next week. Yay, yeah, yay. Yeah.